Hello, my name is David and this is the Hypothetic RL, a podcast about the what-ifs of rugby league history. I'm very excited for this episode. It's one that I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, I'm joined by Dominic, who is a sports journalist. How are you going, Dominic? I'm really well, Dave. How are you going? I'm really good. So the topic that we're doing for today, uh, I, I reached out onto Twitter to find anyone who knew anything about Rugby Union to help me out. And uh, you put your hand up and I'm very appreciative of it. Uh, as you were just saying when we were, when we were uh, introducing ourselves, you obviously yeah, sports journalists, you do, um, you know, you like all sports, you like league, union, AFL, we won't hold that against you, but um, uh, so you have a good, pretty good grounding in, in rugby union? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in, in Canberra, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty like egalitarian, I think, in terms of sports. Uh, you get a pretty good coverage of everything. Um, and certainly I, I didn't notice really growing up too much of a like a class divide mm-hmm. between like a league and union that exists in Sydney. When I moved up to Sydney as an adult, I, I you know, that was a bit of a shock to me. Um, so yeah, I grew up, you know, watching the Raiders, um, watching the Brumbies and watching the Wallabies and Kangaroos and you know, obviously there were different games, but not really knowing um the difference but like why they were the way they were and, and certainly when I ventured onto Twitter um and started engaging in sort of the rugby league community on Twitter, learning that rugby league people don't really like rugby union, and I didn't really understand why for a long time. Um, well, it's the chip on their shoulder, I suppose. We've Yeah, I think yeah. it is. But also, you know, working in the city, um, in Sydney, finding out that, you know, lots of rugby union people despise rugby league. I just couldn't understand why everyone just can't get along. But looking at the history, as we will today, you can sort of see yeah. why there's still so much lingering animosity. Yeah, definitely. So... Basically, the event that we're going to be doing and we're going to be having a look at what would be the effect if it changed uh, is all centred around the foundation of Rugby League in '1908 mm. in, in um, New South Wales and Queensland. Uh, so just a, a, a quick little bit of history. So uh, Albert Baskerville uh, took the New Zealand, they were called the old, they were actually called the All Blacks at the time, which I found interesting, but uh, we now know them as the All Golds. Uh, mm. took them across to play against the Northern Union, which was the breakaway rugby league. Well, they weren't called rugby league, yeah, they're just called Northern Union. Um, so they were playing a, a different game than rugby union. They were, they were what was deemed as professionals. Uh, and so he took them on that tour in 1907. And it, it seems to be, from what I can see from... Uh, from all the articles that we've that I've read about it, is that that was kind of opened the eyes of a lot of the rugby union players in, in Sydney in particular. Um, and around the same time, the there was a insurance scheme uh, that was supposed to take care of players who were, who were injured uh, when playing um, in the Metropolitan Rugby Union. And um, basically, they had abandoned that a couple of years earlier. So players who had been injured were getting no compensation. And they saw that these players were getting money for actually playing. And they were in compensation for when they were injured, and uh, yeah, it really it, it well forced a bit of an exodus of the Sydney rugby union players. Mm, it's it's kind of mental how quickly it changed as well. Like it, it, it's you, you sort of think we we look back at that and go that's not really radical at all. Like in compensation at least, I think is is very fair, and, and mm. I don't know, but you know. We often make fun of rugby league for shooting itself in the foot constantly and missing out on opportunities. And 
Yeah. For me, like rugby union does the exact same thing. And this is a prime example, I think, just of the Australian administrators sort of, you know, not seeing the writing on the wall and then almost losing their game, which I'm sure we'll get into. Oh, of course. Yeah. So um, just to go even further back in the history about rugby union. So, you know, pretty much every sport, every football code in history or every football code comes from a from a common ancestor. So uh, every every uh, ver- derivation of, of football came from, you know, different towns in England playing, then their games being moved, like, you know, people taking certain parts of certain games, joining them together. Um, you know, like the, the association football, which, you know, we call soccer over here now, um, and most of the world probably calls football still, um, was, was just one type of, of football that was played in England, and, you know, rugby was another type, and, you know, there was... Like even we're talking about AFL, you know, AFL came from the same roots as as all the rest of them. So it, it seems interesting that as they as they kind of played against each other, they they realised well we need to have some standardised rules, and the standardisation of rules actually started splitting these these sports these the different sports. Um, and I, I find it really interesting that there's some of the some of the things that they did when they first formed the the rugby league in 1908 is they put a they put rules out and they actually talked about some of the things that they would not allow any anymore and it feels like it i mean obviously we talked about you know the the financial reason for it too but i think there were some other reasons there that you know some things like um you know hacking that they had had allowed in rugby union up till fairly recently and and um you know charging down the the kick when when kicker goals had had happened they they expressly went out there in the in the new rules of rugby league and said these are all outlawed now. So um, I don't know if you've got any comment on that, but I think that's very interesting as well. Is that you know games that were all very similar, um, people basically just went I don't want to play it that way and they made their own rules and that's kind of how we ended up with all these different football codes. Yeah, and it's interesting that like before, pretty much like most of the nineteenth century like rugby union in Australia was like, there wasn't even really a league. It was kind of made up and there were like arguments about rules mm-hmm. as well, which is, is really interesting. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, people like people joke today about, you know, rugby league, like sort of union being unwatchable and it, it definitely is at times um, mm. depending on the game and, and league being, I guess the superior code. And I think it was probably true like, you know, 110 years ago as well. Like it's, it, you know, obviously less players in the field, no line outs, whatever and yeah yeah it's interesting you mentioned the like the hacking and the the tripping and stuff yeah um i i remember reading about aussie rules being formed and and in those original rules in like 1858 Mm. um tripping wasn't allowed because it was seen as ungentlemanly but like hacking and like kicking people and eye gouging was seen as like noble for some weird reason (laughs) and it seems like that's continued on like you know for rugby union going you know you're allowed to do all this because it's, you know, within the spirit of the game, we're all gentlemen here. Whereas I think normal people sort of like, well, why would we have that? Like it's, it's, it's 1907 now, like we're progressive. Yeah. Like why would we do that? So it's yeah. interesting. Those, those sort of arguments have also like continued throughout history. Yeah, it is. And, and I suppose that kind of brings us to the other one you were just saying there about um, no set rules and, you know, no, no league structure. So, you know, when they first, obviously, you know, rugby came from, uh, well, I think there's debate whether 
there was someone who picked up a ball and when they're playing soccer. But anyway, we're not going to go into that. Um, so basically, rugby is the is the game from England, uh, from that region around where that school is, um, and obviously called rugby. It was it was over here in Australia. I think they started playing it quite early, but but with no real league structure. So you know, I think right up until the eighteen sixties, they there was just you know games organised. Rules were changed depending on how people wanted to play them, but uh, I think it was the establishment of of say clubs like Sydney University. I think in maybe the eighteen sixties, uh, I think it was eighteen sixty four or sixty five, um, uh, which kind of real people realised well we will form clubs and we'll we'll play each other, um, and then it it still take it still took a bit of time before I read here that um, by about eighteen seventy four they started to actually um create uh because they didn't actually have any standardized rules of rugby in, in england until 1871 but they started to actually create a standardized competition and a league structure um because before that games were just basically decided uh not decided but games were uh, organized by you know a guy calling another guy and saying hey would you like to play um with no actual no rules of of you know who was going to play and 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 you know what could kind of league structure um so what I found really interesting is one of the very first clubs uh, in the you know, the rugby union, I think it was still called the Southern Rugby Union at the time, was a, a, a club called Wallaroo. Have you, have you, do you know anything about Wallaroo? I know a little bit about them because they're, they're quite like, um, they don't really have a geographical location. Like mm. That's the thing I remember about reading, like reading about them. They were kind of like a, a gentleman's club type thing, um, which is a very, very rugby union. Um but yeah, it seems like clubs like those, and you mentioned Sydney Uni before, um, yeah. just sort of organised games, and yeah, I suppose like you know because they were amateur and they were you know I'm assuming that most of the the guys that were playing as football clubs like Wallaroo and and Sydney Uni were um, quite well off people, so they maybe didn't need to consider mm. um, timing necessarily, or it was just more of a recreational activity, whereas. Um, Obviously, for, for working-class people, it, it's perhaps a little more competitive and there's more of a point to it um, yeah. rather than just getting together and having a, a kick around. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I just found it really interesting that there was a, one of the... Well, one of the more original clubs of, of rugby in Australia was, was just named after an animal um, and was just a mascot, basically. So nowadays, a lot of people don't like the fact that, you know, when we refer to... Uh, you know, either union or league teams that we just use mascots. We don't use where they're from. Um, But uh, interestingly, you know, there was clubs like, you know, Wallaroo and then later on there were clubs like, um, I think it was one called Pirates, um, you know, one called Buccaneer. Um, God God knows what else there was. You know, like they just, they started to, um, some of these clubs were were district-based, were kind of location-based, but there were clubs where it was just a bunch of mates getting together because, they didn't play like a home and away series. They, by the time it came around to the sort of the more modern, the metropolitan rugby union, they were playing everything out of one location, um, and it was just a like a round robin tournament. And then, you know, sometimes they'd have finals, sometimes they wouldn't have finals. It it was very unorganised of how they would put it together still. But at least they had a league structure. They actually were playing the same teams all the time um, and having champions. Uh, which was, or premiers of whatever they want to call themselves. Uh, so there was, you could see the progression of it coming from, you know, just guys getting 
going out playing whatever rules they wanted and then guys playing a set bit of rules but actually you know no leg structure and then all of a sudden the leg structure sort of comes around um and then what i found interesting is in they'd been talking about it for a few years before that but in in the 1900 um metropolitan rugby league rugby union season they actually got rid of all of those sort of clubs they went to just district clubs um so it was the end of wallaroo and pirate and buccaneer and whatever the hell the other ones were all called rest um, in peace yeah exactly and so we ended up with with district clubs and the the interesting thing about the the district competition is that there's some very familiar you know for rugby league fans there's some very familiar names that played you know rugby union at the time um you know i suppose most notably you've got teams like you know south sydney and eastern suburbs and things like that but but even so much as you know in the lower grades there was you know like manly and Parramatta and you know these sort of clubs um i just find it very interesting that you know these all those clubs were were kind of still around at that point and you know were playing rugby union and it took them a long time to come across to rugby league and play and play league um and they probably they're not even really the same club but you know i just find that the the 1900 teams um you know you had balmain east and suburbs glebe newtown north city south sydney western suburbs and the only other one that's not a district is west is sydney university so Sydney University survived um, basically because they were the oldest club and they still wielded a lot of power. Mm. So, um, and then uh, this is probably just the last little bit of history, but in that period from 1900 to 1907, the competition just basically kept, you know, they had, I think they had some promotion and relegation as well. I'm not sure if that's, I think that's the case. It's, It's very patchy. It's very hard to find actual individual seasons i found the 1900 season because there was something you know different about it but um the next season i could find after that was like the 1907 kind of season and then you know by that point it's very hard to tell who was who was in there who wasn't in there and and what was going on yeah rugby's been pretty poor with this record keeping i've noticed as well like yeah and they probably will probably get obviously get onto this but you know that 1907 1908 period was so catastrophic for the sport that perhaps a lot of these records either weren't kept or have been lost um unlike league which is very well documented um but you going back to just what you were saying before it's you're right when you look at like the shoot shield and like i think i looked at a 1904 sort of season and it it looks almost exactly like the 1908 rugby league season same colors Mm -hmm. teams and i imagine a lot of players obviously in that team that would go on to convert to league and yeah you've got only sydney uni there there's sort of the 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 only on what out yeah yeah and i mean i'm just having a look at it now with the with the shoot shield and and that is basically that's the it's pretty much everyone's the same uh, a lot of these teams that you you associate with rugby union nowadays, you know, you sort of Ramwick and you know your Dremoines and your Gordons and all those sort of teams, they weren't in the premier competition. They were probably in maybe you know second division or third division, something like that, because um, they weren't the premier teams at the time. So uh, I think that kind of gets us back to that, that. I think that's enough history to get us back to 1907-08 and and that sort of split that happened. Um, Initially, what I suppose I need to ask this question, and I probably need your rugby union hat on here. Um, sure. If you were a rugby official at the time, 
and you know basically half your competition walked out and said they were going to play somewhere else um how how difficult do you think it would have been for them to to actually you know cave into the demands like it do you think that that would have been a possibility that they might have just said oh look we'll we'll pay for you know we're not going to be fully professional but we'll pay for your injuries we'll we'll bring back that compensation fund or what or the insurance fund that we had um if you guys stay stick around do you think that they in any had any chance of doing that i think to borrow a term from the rugby league digest uh series i think you needed someone who subscribed to the vision in the rugby union quarters. I, I really think that you needed someone to go, this is not going to work out well for us, uh, so we need to come to the table here. Um, but it doesn't appear like anyone was willing to do that. They were, they were pretty keen to like die on the hill of, of amateurism. Um, but And, and it's, look, it's easy for us to look back you know, more than a century on and go, they literally just wanted compensation and a little bit of, you know, a little bit of payment. Mm-hmm. Um and it seems ridiculous that you would get into an argument about that. Um, but obviously at the time it must have meant a lot more. And um, I don't know, probably a good deal of pride going on back then and, and people just being really stubborn. But I think it, yeah, I think it would have been a possibility. Absolutely. Um, I think if, yeah, any rugby union officials had actually seen the opportunity there mm. that, you know, you can keep all the good players. You can continue to make a hell of a lot of money because the administration always makes a lot of money. Yep. And, you know, potentially taking on these new rules, which um, make the game better to watch and get better crowds in. So, yeah, it's 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 bizarre to look back on now. But, yeah, I, I think that there was a yeah, distinct lack of vision. Yeah, definitely. Uh, look, I think that you're completely correct, though. I mean, I just didn't want us to talk for Rugby Union, but... I feel like uh, rugby union, right up until you know, nineteen ninety five, mm. was all about amateurism. Even uh, not even actually being amateur, but having everyone believe, or, or not even believe, but have everyone having that sort of tenet of we are amateur. Um, I mean, the thing is that these rugby the the rugby league players were still, I mean, they was they were being paid to do what they did, but if you call that being professional, then that's that's a big yeah yeah. I think there's some rugby union players that probably got paid under the table for years and well, years. Very so much professional. So. Yeah, very much so. So it's it's a case of you know these guys weren't being paid like a, a huge amount of money. They were being paid a small amount just to keep themselves you know in case they got injured or um, you know just to kind of supplement their their incomes. And I really think that the you know the the people who were in charge of rugby union in the you know, early 1900s were, I mean, we'll put the term were gentlemen. You know what I mean? They were, they were the upper class or the at least middle class sort of guys who had come through private schooling um, and found it absolutely abhorrent that anyone should be paid to play any games. Um, and and that's I mean that's fine. That's their opinion, and that's obviously why rugby union and rugby league never got back together or and they split it happened in the first place but um if like i said like you said if they could have seen you know all we're doing here is we're just giving not paying the players but we're just giving insurance um and we're just giving them maybe a small token uh just to to keep them interested then you know perhaps they could have they could have brought them back 
Um, I there's also an issue of of the rules, and like you said, you know, there's that issue as well. But just staying on the monetary thing, there, you know, in I think there were I found some some matches where you know the rugby union in Sydney was extremely popular in so 1905 to 1907, and you know, there were massive crowds and they were making a lot of money. And I think the players also saw that they weren't making any money and the people in charge were making all the money. And why was that fair? You know, we should be getting paid as well. So, you know, I can see where rugby union thinks, oh, these guys are greedy. And I can see where, you know, the guys who defected across to rugby league are going, well, these guys are greedy, you know. So there's, I, I don't think these sides would ever come back together. But um, I think that's kind of gets us to the next thing is, what do you think would have, like, if someone had had balked and and these sports, you know, basically we had one sport. Um, what kind of effect do you think it would have had on on the history of of that sport? This is a really interesting one to think about because I wonder how much pressure the New South Wales Rugby Union was put under by the the RFU, mm-hmm. um, because and and you know. You read about the split in 1895, and, and that seems a lot more vindictive. Like it's it's these really like proper upper class aristocracy guys from from London who despise the working class, and so that was I think that was obviously a really bitter battle. Whereas whereas in Australia it doesn't it didn't seem as like the the class divides didn't seem as big as in the UK. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I really like we talked about before. I think that they could definitely have come back together, and and it would have been, I think, pretty easy in Australia to do that if, if you know they swallowed their pride and gone to the table. I think you fix that situation, and then, but in regards to what sort of happens in the rest of the world, you, you have to wonder whether New Zealand come across as well because they're probably a bit isolated if if they stick with the rugby union, mm-hmm. um, they certainly can't play. Um, you, you know that they, I suppose. If, if, if rugby union goes professional in Australia, does the RFU ban Australia, which means New Zealand loses, I guess, a lot of potential for matches there. Yeah. Um, and you also have countries like Wales who are, you know, reunions almost like a working class game in Wales. And and, and it, it's been interesting to see how it remained that way, even though rugby union was amateur and whether they decide to jump ship. Um, but yeah, I think it all hinges probably on the, the RFU and, and, what their response to all this was yeah well i mean their response uh, i'm assuming that it was their response and not the uh, new south wales rfu or what the new south wales version was the southern rugby or whatever the hell they were called at the time um but basically there was threats of, of blackballing players from ever playing again um if they if they played even one second of this new rebel competition so um you know and realistically you know, it'd be pretty hard to come back together. If, if say, you know, we got a year or two down the track, you know, say we got to 1908, 1909, and rugby, rugby union was, you know, dwindling as it was, and, and they went, well, this is no good, we'll have to swallow some pride and go back. Um, all of a sudden, there, it would leave the Australian rugby union in a very compromised position because, you know, basically they'd be cut off because there's no way that the, the English are like the RFU in England, would ever allow that to happen. So they would basically blackball the whole of the, of the country. Um, and like you said, you know, New Zealand, where does that leave them? And, you know, where does it leave 
anyone else. Uh, the interesting thing is what happens if it goes the other way? So um, what happens if rugby league doesn't become as popular? Rugby union just sort of, you know, it loses a bit of popularity, but the, the rugby league guys realise, look, this isn't really worth it. Uh, and an agreement is made that, you know, maybe the RFU will give them, you know, they'll allow them to come back uh, and they will maybe look at putting the insurance scheme back in, but they have to play rugby union rules again. Um, what do you think would have happened if, if they'd kind of, the league guys had caved in? Um, that's very interesting. I, I think, I, I, yeah, well, I think, I think league probably doesn't make it in this country if that's mm. the case, because, um, I suppose it depends when they do this. Cause if, if they're ahead of the game in maybe 1907 or even in 1908, I think the league just doesn't get up because, at the end of the, the that first league season in Australia, like the, the Kangaroos went on the inaugural tour, and they they almost had to do that because the league, like a, I guess the league needed publicity, so they were still very vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. and it probably wasn't until 1909 that that league was really probably in a really strong position. So I think if if rugby union act and you know actually see the writing on the wall before then, mm-hmm. I think league just doesn't get up. I think that there would probably be enough player power to say, well, you know what they're sort of giving us what we asked for. So what's the point in continuing this rebel competition? Like, let's just go back to what we know. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, you know, if, if rugby union waits to say 1910, and this is probably after those, yeah, um, kangaroos and wallabies games in yeah. 1909, yeah. I think league just tells them to get lost. Like there's, there's, you know, maybe if rugby union goes back to them, they can, you know, they'll they'll allow them to have university in the first grade rugby league competition. Um, mm-hmm. But that's probably about it. I think they keep the rules and and they probably don't cave into any demands rugby union would make of them. Yeah. So, look, I, I couldn't find a lot of information about um, what kind of happened to those clubs in rugby union, like after from 1908 onwards. Um, I I mean, obviously there is still you know an eastern eastern suburbs and wests and northern districts and southern districts so uh, you know and, and like i said there's a lot of clubs that were second division that probably got promoted up um but you know i think they if i'm if i'm correct i think some of those clubs had sort of two competition like two clubs they basically split them down the middle so you know some of the guys went across and played rugby league but some of the officials and some of the players just stayed in union and maybe were a little bit weaker teams that were you know around that time but um, you know, do you do you know any of that sort of history? I did try to find some of that, and it was a little bit a little bit hard to find. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, you're right. It's not particularly well documented, is it? I think it's it's very it's it's probably hard to see the difference between them because um, I, I, one thing I have read is sort of a match report from 1906 because I'm a fun guy and that's what I do in my spare time. <laughs> um, but but Easts are playing Souths and they're, they're you know they're called South Sydney and Eastern Suburbs and Easts yeah. have Daly Messenger playing for them. Mm-hmm. And it was it was it was sort of touted as the like the uh, the young sort of um, up and coming East side versus the powerhouse of South Sydney. I thought I could be reading a rugby league report from any time in the 20th century. Really, like it's it's really interesting to see, you know how seismic the shift was but how yeah aesthetically the game didn't really change that much you know Mm -hmm. you've literally got glebe playing rugby union in 1907 and then you know a glebe rugby league club pops up in 1908 and they're wearing the exact same colors same with newtown like it's it's really really interesting 
to see they did you know this for them was you know probably wasn't a, a massive change it was just you know we're going to take the colors we're going to take the name and we're not going to bother sort of forming new identities because we don't really need to yeah no that's fine uh look uh, i also like to do that kind of thing so i found a uh, I think it's the uh, the Town and Country Journal from August seventh, nineteen oh seven. Nice. Um, and it's the Metropolitan Rugby Union's first grade competition is drawing to a close, and it, it gives you like some results from from the first grade competition. Uh, and like you said, so this is also East playing Souths, and you've got you know you got guys like uh, well, uh, Jersey Flag playing for Easts, and you've got. Um, Rosenfeld and you know like some of the some of the other people around it uh, I couldn't find Messenger maybe he wasn't playing that day or something but couldn't find him in there but like you've got so you've got East and Souths and you've got University playing Newtown and you know you've got um, what was the other one you had interestingly you had um, Glebe playing a team just called Sydney just Sydney yeah I don't know who they were uh, and then you had Manly and it was Manly's thing was victory at last. Manly has scored a win. So obviously Manly wasn't very good. Um, no. And then you had North Sydney and Western Suburbs playing each other. So um, interestingly, you know, like when, when you kind of look at it, it's it's got a um, it's got like a table as well for 1907. So I, I kind of get a general idea what happened before the split, but I couldn't figure out afterwards. So in that first grade, it's got Glebe University, Eastern Suburbs, South Sydney, Sydney, whoever they were, Western Suburbs, Newtown, North Sydney, maybe it was Sydney University, maybe that's who they were, were talking about, um, North Sydney, Balmain, St George and Manly. So that was the first grade in 1907. Mm. And then, like in second grade, when you go through there, you've got, you know, some other places like Merrickville and Ashfield and like different Mossman and things like that. Uh, of course, it, there was a Mossman team. Interestingly, there's a team called the RA Artillery, so I don't know who that is, but that sounds really good. Um, yeah. And then I'm sort of looking down the list and trying to find any names that I know. And, I, you know, I don't find any of those clubs like the one I talk about. You know, I don't find a Gordon and I don't find, a, you know, Eastwood or any of those sort of ones. So it, it feels like um, unless they just, like, promoted them out of nowhere, you know, they these clubs must have been created quite a bit later so i think they were i think i think yeah clubs like i think gordon i think they were formed in the 20s which mm -hmm. might i mean i don't have any evidence for this but it might just be that you know they were maybe so decimated by by the switch that losing players and then of course um you know during the first world war they they weren't allowed to play at all so maybe these clubs just a lot of clubs have vanished and um, afterwards they had to kind of invite new clubs in there but i would have yeah i would have thought those teams like gordon and, and whatnot would have been in there for a very long time but but obviously not yeah look I, I just i'm just not sure i think i think you're right i think there's quite a lot of those clubs that weren't really in there and i and they might have been it could have also been that they weren't in the actual premiership but they were in the shoot shield instead mm -hmm. you know what i mean like so that's that's the funny thing that you don't that you know like rugby league people don't really understand about union is that even even through that time you know we talked about having a proper league structure not every team was in the league some of them were in the cup competition like the shield competition instead and it was just i don't know it just seems like a shamozzle like it's when you look Very at confusing. it yeah it's really confusing I, I tried to do a bit of a history and 
and read through all the you know all these clubs and I've I found like the shoot shield history and stuff like that but it's really confusing because you know like there was a team and then there wasn't and then there was again and like it's I, I don't know I, I I started reading too much about rugby union and started feeling sick so yeah, I decided that, that, that I changed that, my fair. mind <laughs> <laughs> um do you, do, here's a question for you do you mm. think that if you know one of the tragedies about if rugby union did go professional that they would sort of keep St George in that competition, and you never get the Dragons. They never, they never form. They never have the red V. That would be very interesting. Yeah. So, so if St George, yeah, because that's that's another thing that does happen. That you know, obviously by nineteen, by the nineteen twenty. So, um, you know, as rugby league goes forward, some new. We obviously got the the eight original teams plus Cumberland who. Were a disaster, so we would never speak of them yeah. again. Um, but you know, the eight original teams, and then you know, those teams have replaced other teams, and they eventually got to where you know, where St. George comes in in what 1920, 21, or whatever 1921 it would be. 21, um, I believe, yes, yeah. So, and I believe that part of, I mean, obviously, rugby league had been growing in popularity, but yeah, if Union had 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 staved them off, uh, and we still had two competitions, but Union had been a little bit stronger. Uh, and we don't get St George. It would be very interesting because, yeah, I, it would make a huge effect on on rugby league's history without St George. Yeah, they're just they're just like they they've provided so many I guess visual memories. I think people people mm. know about the Gladiators and and you know most sports fans will know about eleven in a row. And it's just yeah, you're right. It's such a part of rugby league's story and fabric. And to to not have them in there would be would be very interesting. So the other question would be is is if if say they caved to the demands and you know they gave them more money and you know I don't think they would have changed the rules. That's the only thing. Would do you think that the rug that rugby would have that would have been the end of it, or do you think that there might have been another kind of uprising? Because you know rugby league's very very well known for you know um, factions and uprisings and things like that. Um, almost I don't Rebel know as much about rugby union, but do you think that maybe in Five years after, like by the time you get to you know 1914, that there would have been another, you know, we want the rules changed now. You know, would have never been good enough for them. Potentially, I mean, I suppose it depends on. I suppose, I suppose it depends on whether crowds were down or, or not. I think in mm-hmm. rugby league has, has often changed rules in response to trying to make the game a bit better. Or you know, we're talking about St George before bringing in limited tackles to stop mm-hmm. St George's dominance. Um, so yeah, I, I think that they they probably do um, change the rules and and try and make it a bit more I don't know, easy on the eye because I mean you know I, I speak as as a, a watcher of rugby union you know some games are just really hard to get into uh, yeah. now I, I can't imagine what it would have been like while being around in the mud kicking the shit out of each other like I, I just <laughs> I can't imagine it was a pleasant spectacle and and I can imagine that. You know, a bit more space in the field and play the balls would have been, you know, very, you know, um, interesting for crowds to see. And obviously they responded to that because, like, rugby league goes from getting okay crowds in 1908 to really taking off two or three years later. Yeah. And the the funny thing about the play the ball is that was actually a rugby union rule uh, that they trialed. Yeah. They trialed it for, I think, a season or or part of a season. uh, And then. I think uh, look, I'm not the the expert on it, and I'm sure if um, I'm sure he doesn't listen. But if uh, Tony Collins was listening, 
Uh, he would probably tell me exactly because I think I heard it from his podcast. Uh, but I believe that in in a particular season they trialed having a play the ball, um, and they didn't like it because it wasn't in the pure spirit of the game. So they went back to the rock and mall. Um, but yeah, like basically, if you try and watch, and I've said this to people like that, if you try and watch a game, if if you know you got transported back to nineteen oh eight. Uh, as a rugby league fan, you tried to watch a game of rugby league in 1908. You would have it wouldn't it would look more like rugby. Actually, it would look like either sport. It would look like just a mess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't no most, structure. <laughs> well, there's no structure. There's people are standing on top of each other. Basically, you put the ball down. You just you best basically kicked at it. That's that's the only thing. Like the the play the ball we talk about now is you know the guy gets up and pushes himself off by the ball and all sorts of you wouldn't be you wouldn't get away with that sort of crap. Like, no. if you put the ball on the ground, someone would kick you. Like, that's that's how it worked. That's exactly how it worked at the time. Um, pretty much the play of the ball was just, instead of instead of them rushing over the top of each other, you got to get to your feet and put the, and you drop the ball in for a contest and everyone would kick at the ball and then eventually someone would pick it up and then they get tackled and the same thing would happen. Um, and that's, that's probably the reason why, I mean, I know there's the 15 men on the side and things like that, but um, that's probably the reason why a lot of, Especially a lot of the early Northern Union seasons, you know, teams would teams would win like you know three nil or you know three two or you know like there'd be pretty much the only way you could score was was kicking like a field goal or something like that. Like there there was a lot of games where there was lots of nils and not many points scored. Um, and you know, like you said, as as fans went, oh, this this is not really good. Let we can't really watch this. They they sort of opened it up a bit more and. They took two people off the field and they did other things. And then sort of by the time, you know, rugby league happens in Australia, um, the Northern Union had, had put the play the ball in and had taken two men off the field and stopped. Yeah, basically all those rules that rugby league adopted um, as their 1908 set of rules is what the Northern Union had sort of only really done two years earlier. So pretty much if you watched a, a Northern Union game, you know, from like 1896 to maybe 1900, it probably looked exactly like a rugby union game. I don't think there was much difference mm. there. I think they brought in those rules partly as well to prevent injury. Um, so it would have been interesting to see, you know, once like those English teams went professional mm. and said, you know, look, we'll, we'll compensate you if you get injured. And then there was just so many injuries. They thought this is unsustainable. Um, again, Tony would probably know the answer to that. Yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, it's interesting to see that because I guess that difference between union and league is, you know, if you're from a sort of a, a higher class in society, it doesn't really matter if you break your arm because you're climbing all on top of each other and whatever, you'll go for a drink after the game. It's totally fine. Whereas if you're working class and you break your arm, I suppose you can't turn up at the, 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 the coal mine the next day. Yeah, uh, so, exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of a. I guess they probably brought it in for for those to reduce injuries, but also you know they really saw an opportunity there to actually this is not only safer but also a better game for spectators. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I just pulled up uh, this, and it's from the it's from March. So it's the New South Wales Rugby League official rugby league rule. So this is the first set of rules. Um, I don't actually have the document. I've just got someone's transcript of it. But it basically says, For the upcoming New South Wales Rugby League Premiership, clubs will utilise the new English Northern Union rules, which have been established in 1895. The rules consist of, and it's 13 players per team, rather than 15, as introduced in 1906. 
uh, any type of goals with two points as introduced in 1896 uh, and a three points for a try as introduced as 1906. So, um, you know, I'm not sure what the scoring system was in rugby union at the time, but I, I'd hazard a guess that it was completely different than that. Um, I think it was more skewed towards kicking as, as well. Yeah, so. I think if you kicked, I think you only scored one or two points for a try, but you scored three points for a field goal or for a drop goal, whatever you want to call that. Um, which is very strange to us because, like like you said, it was skewed towards kicking because I think they believed that the skill of, of kicking a ball through the post was much more than just getting over a line. Um, they probably thought scoring a try was a, just a very working-class thing to do. <laughs> very true. Um, and, yeah, look, there's a couple other things that, you know, things like, you know, not being able to charge at the goal kicker and, you know, things like that. But most of it was fairly similar. Like, there wasn't a lot of differences between, but the main ones are those, you know, the the main, you know, having 13 people on the field and, and the different points for, for tries and goals. Um, I suppose the the next logical thing to say is, um, you know, we're, we're going through this hypothetical of saying that they, that there's one sport that goes forward from 1908, uh, whichever way it goes. Um, do you think that in terms of in terms of a league structure, um, you know, obviously the rugby union was quite lax on their league structure and only really like eight years earlier it actually decided to, to make a district clubs. Um, if they went forward, do you think that we would end up with a, with a you know, like just a single league, no cup competition and, and you know, how, how the NRL has kind of gone? Or do you think it would still be quite patchy, you know, like cup competitions and and league is, you know, the league's quite quite small and, you know, like there's promotion and relegation or, you know, which way do you think that that would have gone? I think if you bring professionalism in, like obviously you need to make as much money as possible and I think mm. spectators want that certainty. So, yeah, I, I think that sort of more rugby union making things up on the fly just wouldn't have passed. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably keep the. I know the rugby league played cup competitions for a while, but then obviously got rid of them. And, and the idea of a cup competition is completely foreign to us now. Yeah. Um, although in other professional sports, you know, like football, for example, they still have them, um, even though people debate the, their worth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it goes the way of of sort of rugby league. I think they they shelve them pretty much as soon as they can. Um, and focus on the league because I suppose the league brings the dollars in and, and that's the most important thing in a professional league. I suppose, you know, if you want to look back on amateurism and, and look at the, the positives for it, I suppose you do have freedom to experiment and sort of just do whatever you want and not have to worry so much about those financial concerns. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, I think we're getting... There's not much more we can do of that ground. So um, let's go Let's go a lot way, long way further. Um, if it was current day and there was just one rugby, so doesn't matter what it's called, um, what do you think would happen internationally? Do you think that having two different rugby competitions has actually hurt both both of them from establishing themselves, um, or do you think it's sort of like an arms race and it actually has helped? I think it's helped in rugby unions part because they've they've certainly invested in um i guess non-traditional areas that they've really poured a lot of money into places like the us and canada mm. um and the sort of the, the rugby union sevens as well has been a great expansion tool for them um even if you know people in sort of 
rugby playing nations don't always pay attention to it or take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, yeah, it, it it's very topical at the moment because obviously International Rugby League is, <laughs> is in a bit of a state at the <laughs> we moment. We probably shouldn't talk uh, about that right now because it might get me angry. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm very angry as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it's interesting. It's it, obviously Rugby League had the World Cup for, before Rugby Union did. Yeah. Um, so I guess Rugby League for probably it's you know during the 20th century was very proactive and um, was always looking to innovate because I guess they were outnumbered and they had I guess the Ashes series and that was really it. Like that was the showpiece. Mm-hmm. And so they've sort of they needed to innovate and at some point maybe the Super League War, I'm not sure, that dropped off. And really, when Rugby Union sort of brought in their World Cup in 1987, they realised, you know, this could actually go somewhere. And and since then, like, they've completely dominated. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not even close at the moment. You, you, you would never see New Zealand and Australia withdrawing from Rugby Union World Cup. They would do whatever they needed to do to get over there because it's sort of, it is, they see it as important. And I guess in Rugby League, we don't see it as important. Um, or not as important as it should be. Um, no. So I think it's I think it's harmed rugby league. Um, but but for yeah for rugby union I think it's they might they might not even consider it anymore. They might not you know see a threat from from rugby league anymore. It's just so small time now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the interesting thing, part of what's caused the problem for for rugby league in Australia, uh, for internationals is that. Um, I mean, this is my opinion, but I think that the the rise of popularity of the state of origin, um, and also the the poorer quality of of the English teams, or the Engl- you know the England over the over that time. So yeah. when you have a look at historically, you know England was or England as Great Britain were quite poor for quite a lot of years, and they had that kind of glory period in the you know the late eighties, early nineties, but they didn't they didn't win anything. Like there was no real, you know, they they still struggled to beat Australia because Australia was still so so dominant at the time, and and now they're just, you know, people, you know, the competition over there in England is by a lot of Australians is treated as a bit of a joke compared to the NRL competition. So, you know, I can see why, you know, international rugby league in Australia has gone on the back burner, and when and when your most successful nation is, you know, doesn't really care about the international game, and then you know, pretty much. The, f- the top two nations don't care about the international game. It's it's a real big problem, and I think that's that's probably where international rugby league is is dropping down. I mean, there's lots of countries that still play it, but they play it at a much lower level. And you know, it's I know what you're saying about rugby union. Um, it's played in more countries, and it's played to a more competitive level in more countries. So you know, like when you have a rugby union World Cup, there is legitimately quite a lot of nations that could win it. Um, I mean, we were hopeful. A lot of people who are who are like me, like International Rugby League, were hopeful that you know perhaps someone would put a big challenge to Australia in this Rugby League World Cup, and obviously that's not going to happen now because they're not going to be there, um, and so that's going to kind of keep it a bit of a schmozzle, really. But um, I suppose the other question is, if there's this one United game just called rugby, and you know. There was no state of origin because there'd be no need for it because international rugby would be, you know, still the pinnacle. Um, do you think that there? What do you think would happen with, you know, like Australia, New Zealand, yeah, you know, in you know, England, all these countries? Do you think there would be a 
fairly even because you know obviously Australia and rugby union does struggle because they do lose a lot of talent to rugby league. They do. Um, New Zealand don't lose as much talent and are very dominant. Um, and I mean, there's you could say England loses some talent from to the north, but maybe not that much. Do you think that it would be, you know, still the All Blacks who kind of dominate, or do you think Australia would really ha- have a big chance if they had? No, I I think Australia would be the number one team in the world. I think we produce the best rugby players in the world. I, I think, and I'm you know, talking both codes there. Hmm. Um, I just yeah we. I guess it, it, it's really, it's really weird when you know, and I've I've talked to a lot of New Zealanders, and they sort of make fun of the Wallabies, and they go, you know, you're, you're playing a selection of the the finest schoolboys in Australia, right? Like it, it's it's not a fair contest, and, and and actually, if we had a mixed team, and if you guys got your best league players, I still I think Australia dominates that, and mm. I might I might risk offending any uh, Kiwi listeners that you have. But I just think, you know, you've look, think of the guys, like guys like Greg Inglis, Jonathan Thurston, Andrew Johns, Darren Lockyer. Like these guys, if they play, you know, the, the one rugby code, these mm-hmm. guys just dominate. And, and I think they're superior to any other country. Certainly having watched International Rugby Union, you know, the NRL, I think the NRL is the best rugby competition in the world. We have the best athletes best playmakers um i think the only thing they need to work on is probably their long distance goal kicking um mm-hmm. aside from that i think yeah we dominate and that's why it makes it so frustrating when the wallabies you know they, they try really hard but they're just they're very handicapped and and gone are the days where rugby union could actually afford to purchase some of those rugby league players and sort of tip the scales back towards a balance yeah but yeah i think i think australia i think australia dominates absolutely yeah well, that's and the the interesting thing for me would be um, it depends because because as we're going to the more modern day, um, you know, obviously rugby league changes its rules like it changes underwear, um, and you know, rugby union has changed its rules a long way since there too. But it feels like some of the rugby union changes are to kind are trying to combat you know the the popularity of rugby league in some way. You know, a lot of the things they've done has been to try and open themselves up and then, you know, rugby league will open themselves up a bit further. So I also wonder whether in terms of rules, if it did have, if it was, was just one rugby um, in the whole of the world, would it look like rugby league? Would it look like rugby union or would it just look like something completely different? It's hard to say. I think it, lo- I think it looks like league. I mm. think, you know, and this is a dream scenario, you'd have sort of like a, a play the ball so that's nice and clean and it's not confusing because, you know, rucks in rugby union are just incredibly confusing even to avid fans. Mm. But uh, perhaps the scrum stays, like the competitive scrum stays in. Yeah. Um, which I know a lot of, like I, I'm too young to remember competitive scrums. Um, although my, my dad always, you know, just suggested why, why don't teams just push in the scrums like the old days? I just <laughs> have no idea what he's talking about because I've owned. I saw. I probably started watching league at well, about two thousand five. So yeah, well, yeah, I have no competitive scrums. If if you watch this season, and I've noticed it, I've noticed it with my own team. Um, there's a there's a tactic that a few of these players or a few of these teams are doing where when the ball goes in the scrum, it goes to the second row or the lock, or whatever. And he he puts his foot on the ball so they can try mm. and catch them offside. And I've noticed a few teams now waiting for that to happen and just waiting that half a second and then pushing. And oh. I think I think if a few of them push someone off the ball, it'll be very interesting to see whether we get a bit more competitive scrums again. But 
realistically, if you allow someone to throw the ball into the second row, they're not going to have competitive scrums. No, no. Well, and that's that's actually crept in in Union a bit as well. Actually, like the I, saw, I was watching the the Wallabies test a couple of weeks ago, and the scrum half just like yeah, literally threw it into the second row's legs, and I thought that defeats the purpose of the scrum. Like it's not even a competition. Yeah, exactly. Anymore. Um, so yeah, perhaps it, you know, like I said, maybe it's a dream scenario or uh, where scrums work, but but you know they probably don't. So I think it does resemble league. I just I just think league is you know on field it's just superior. Like it, it's more exciting. You're not sounding like a union expert now. I know you sound like a sounded like we're two <laughs> two league guys talking union down, but um, I'll I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll you know I I like union, but I'll, I'll never miss an opportunity to talk it down. <laughs> no, I've been very critical of it. Um, You're like the ultimate rugby league, rugby union supporter. <laughs> I am. And I, I've also, you know, listening to podcasts like yours and, and podcasts like the um, RLD. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I, I think I'm a leaguey. I, th- I think you've got me. Ah, oh, okay. Well, that's fine. We can we can keep talking about it. Excellent. Uh, I think it's. I think it'd be very interesting actually because quite a lot of these rule changes that came in in, in rugby league were to were to arrest a problem that they thought they had. And if the rules had not changed as much in, in the night, it, it, like I said, it really takes us back to 1908 and, and who wins that battle. You know, they're going to come back together, but there's always a winner and a loser in that. Usually, mm. usually I think it's a... I'll probably butcher this, but I think it might have been uh, former Prime Minister Bob Hawke that might have said something about... Uh, when there's a negotiation, both sides lose, or something like that. There's is some sort of saying. I, I wish I knew what it was. I've just thought of it at the top of my head now. Um, but I think when he was one of the when he was doing like um, he was involved with the with the unions, he did say something like that. You know, like any time that I carry out a um, any kind of negotiation, uh, both sides have to go into it knowing they're both going to lose um, because they're both going to lose something. You've got to give something up to to get a compromise. So. I just don't know. It depends on who who takes the upper hand there. Whether you know the rules more resemble the rugby union. Basically, yeah, the league guys just cave in and go straight back, and and we've got union rules. And then you know for for how long we don't know. Like it, I think they would have opened it up a little bit because obviously people would have been there would have been threats from other sports. You know, like uh, obviously the, yeah the VFL would have probably been a threat eventually and. You know, soccer itself would be the threat being more open games than what Union was. Um, but if if League had kind of taken the upper hand, and which I don't think could have happened because I don't think the whole world could have come back together. But say say that it had got the upper hand. Say that League had had ba- the Union guys had kind of come to their ease and said, "Oh look, we'll all come across. We're going to play this." And and New Zealand had done the same thing because they realised they had nowhere to play if they didn't follow Australia. Um, and you know the the RFU in in England looked at everything and realised that the whole world was shrinking uh, around them, and they went, okay, we'll we'll yield to the Northern Union um, and at least pay them uh, some some sort of thing like that. So if it happened that way, and we'd adopted more thirteen man game, then I think we would have got some of the rules that we've got now. But it feels like we would have got some kind of like by now I think it would have looked like nineteen sixties rugby league. If you know what I mean, like I don't think we would have had as many changes that happened because, like like you're saying, yeah, the unlimited tackle and and going to limited tackle, that kind of happened because of a there was a game in England probably a couple of years before that where I think it might have been a nil all draw or it was really really dour game, 
And one of the officials said, uh, you know, like, people aren't going to come to watch this, so we've got to change the rules. And and that's where the whole limited tackle thing kind of came from. It was from this one game and the, the league officials over there going, we've got to change the rules. So, you know, if that game doesn't happen, then maybe unlimited tackles stays around. I don't know. Yeah, so I suppose that that's one of the benefits of, of league being as small as it is, is it, like it can make these like quite drastic changes, you know, and it only affects like one or two competitions, mm. like top grade competitions. Whereas if, if uni, for example, like that would have to be ratified by the governing body and like that affects the entire globe and it's quite big and, you know, maybe the South Africans don't want that rule and then, you you know, you, you're in an argument with them about that. So yeah. I, I, I've noticed like the Rugby Australia brought in a couple of changes to Super Rugby last year. Like they, they brought in the, it's kind of like the, the equivalent of the 40-20, like the 50-22, yeah. which is a bit ridiculous because why don't you just play rugby league then? <laughs> if, if you're going to bring these rules in. But, yeah. but it's interesting that the union, I think, in the modern age is going towards league. It, 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 that's where it's kind of headed. And and I don't know in 30 or 40 years' time how similar the games will look. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, you know, that, yeah, you're right. Back in sort of 19, well, 1904, 1905, very similar rules. And then they split and they continue to split. And now they're slowly starting to come back together or at least... Union is, you know, heading in league's direction, and league's just doing whatever the hell it wants to do, or yeah. whatever Peter Volandis wants to do. <laughs> we might, we might. <laughs> could you imagine? See, the thing is that um, at the moment, like I watch a lot of, I've watched a lot of older games, and if you watch a game from, yeah, probably from probably from the early nineties before before the ten meter rule, so when it was still five meters, um, if you watch a game from that period. And you see the amount of tactical kicking and, and kicking for corners and trying to get territory. Um, you find it very interesting because nowadays you don't give the ball away. Like, it's it's very rare. I mean, sometimes, you know, like a, a field goal will get up there and say, that's a great kick. He'll kick it on third tackle and he's pinned them or he's turned their forwards around or something like that. That was that was done a lot more back in the 80s. Like, they, there was a lot of tactical kicking for corners. You know, you'd, you'd kick the ball and someone would find touch and there would be a you know, the round of applause for finding touch. You know, that's kind of gone out of the game now. Like, no one cares it definitely if you has. find touch. Yeah. Unless it's a 40-20, no one gives a stuff. Like, no. you know, and that's... that. W- but that was important because you'd go down the other end and you'd have a contested scrum. So you'd have some chance of getting the ball back. You probably didn't get it back, but you'd have some chance. And even if you didn't, get the ball back you had them in their own area and it would take because they're only five meters back and even earlier than that you know back in the sort of 70s they were only you know a few yards back um it would be impossible to to get out of your own end so basically the kicking game and was very much like rugby is now you know we use kind of you're kicking for territory so you know I, i know what you're saying like union is starting to bring in some rules to bring it closer to league but there's that massive divide between the two sports where possession is key in league and territory is key in union. And true, they true. can't, it's hard to bring them back together unless there's a major rule that, that has changed in, in one of either sports that, that brings that into line. I don't know how that would actually work. Yeah. It's, it, I know, I noted back in one of the rule changes when, um, that they commented on in like 1908 when those the rugby league started was like, you're penalized for kicking the ball out in the full in uh in league whereas yeah. in union you're not necessarily and i actually like that's one of the things i like about union is those kicking battles because 
like it, it's extremely tactical. It, it's a, it's a unique skill, and if you engage in a kicking duel and you stuff up, like your team is immediately on the back foot. Like it's catastrophic a lot of the time, yeah. especially when Australia plays the All Blacks. Um, so yeah, it's, it's I, yeah I, I don't have a memory of of kicking in rugby league. Um, yeah. really at all and, and you know I, I remember watching game years and years ago I think Andrew Johns kicked on the second tackle and I was just bewildered like I was quite angry like why would he kick on the second tackle like, <laughs> why is he doing this I'm very much a, of the era where it's like you, you take your five hit ups and then you, you just kick the ball down yeah yeah because it's a, it's a possession game um, and you get your territory so you know like if you unless I mean nowadays it's a little bit different again but you know, unless you completely stuff up, you can make at least 30 or 40 metres in a, in a set if you have to, sometimes 50 or 60, you know, like if just by being conservative. And mm. it's all about, um, rugby league, it's all about breaking a defence down um, by repeatedly hitting areas that you want to hit. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, like, but you only have a limited amount of possession. So the six tackle rule is what really governs how rugby league's played. Whereas... You can have a limited possession in Union. It doesn't matter. You could just take small hit-ups at a time. If you really wanted to, you could just keep, you know, rucking and mauling for the whole 100 metres. But, you know, eventually there's a chance that, that you don't, like, you know, you could lose possession. And if you lose possession in your own half, that's that's like suicide. You know, like, you don't want to yeah. ever lose possession in your own half. So you've got to get it out of there. Um, and I think, I think there is certain rules that, could be changed in either one that would bring them much closer together. But I also don't know whether the sports really want to come back together anymore. Like I, like you said, there's so much animosity between the fans of both sports that, like you, you as a fan of both sports, you get treated, you know, as a second-class citizen, you get treated terribly by both of it, like both yeah. league and union did, supporters. Yeah. So um, it, it, I find that interesting when you said that to me because... You know, I know that's the case, and you know, I might have been guilty of that a few times. I don't really like rugby union, but like I have watched games of rugby union before. Um, I just don't find them. I just don't understand them. I think that's what it is. I don't understand why they're kicking all the time, and you know, it, it, like even when I'm talking about that period in the in the eighties, you did have kicking duels. Like a someone, I think it was a state of origin with with Dale Shearer for Queensland and. I think it might have been Laurie Daly or someone like that for New South Wales, and they were having a kicking duel. Um, but it was almost like they were doing it just for the tradition of doing it. I remember I remember there were calls during the week of that State of Origin game that there was going to be a kicking duel, which I find really funny when you're watching a competitive sport when they, they come out and they go, we're going to have a kicking duel. It's like, <laughs> hold on, why are you telling the other team what your tactic your is? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand this. But they, did, they had the kicking duel, and I... I believe, I believe Dale Shearer basically won because he had a much bigger boot than than whoever was kicking. I think it would have been Laurie Daly and Ricky Stewart were both having a go for New South Wales. But you know, I mean, if you ever saw Dale Shearer kick a ball, it was amazing how far he kicked that thing. Um, Unfortunately, I've not. I, I've never. No, I, I can't. I, I, I can't recall who Dale Shearer is, which might shock uh, a lot of your no. That's fine, listeners. Well, if, if you can, I'll, look, I'll see if I can find this kicking duel from the State of Origin because. I do remember it, and it was it was well after the time when when a kicking duel would actually have normally happened, and they basically just did it, and it felt like they did it because there was, uh, you know, there's always this thing about rugby league is we we always think that 
you know, 10 to 15 years earlier, the game was at its peak. Yeah. Um, no matter what, where we are, like at the moment, if you say to someone, oh, when was the best rugby league was? Oh, they'd be going, oh, you know, early 2000s or late 90s. You know, that's that's the time when they think is rugby league was at its best. If you go back to the, the 90s, you know, people might have thought the 80s was better. And then in the 80s, they're like, oh, the 60s was better. You know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, no one likes the 70s, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that seems to be a common thread amongst rugby league supporters you know for for however long i remember you know we always talked about the good old days and you know i remember i do remember you know i'm i'm i don't remember anything before 1980 because that's when i was born so i remember the 80s quite well like just the end of the late 80s but i do remember these kicking duels and i always found it really strange looking back, back at them now because you're like, why are you giving possession away? Like, that's the most important thing in the game. But, like I said, the before that 10-meter rule, the possession wasn't... It was still important, but territory was also important because you couldn't get up field as, quick, as easily. So, that's where I think union is at the moment because getting up the field is not as easy. So, kicking to get up the field because you can always win possession back. You know, there's always a scrum or a, you know, there's always a winning winning the, the ball in the ruck or something like that. little contests all over the field in different scenarios. Yeah. yeah. So, League has removed all its contests as well, because the other thing that's also happened in the 90s is they stopped them striking in the play of the ball. So, unless you make an error or someone steals the ball off you one-on-one, you, can't, you don't lose possession. So, you have the ball for that six tackles. No matter what you do with it, you could run backwards 80 metres if you want, like Sam Walker style, but you yes. still have the ball. Yeah, I mean, like it, that, that is the most important thing that you've got. Yeah. Um, so perhaps perhaps rugby league would look, or sorry, perhaps rugby, if it was one sport, would look more like 1980s rugby league, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's still, I think 80s rugby league was not that far away from Union where it could still be, you could still have players jump across from, from either side and, and still be quite good at it. Um, I, I understand what you're saying about the, you know, the guys who went from rugby league to rugby union, the sort of early, like late nineties, early two thousands. But if you look at the guys who did that, they either had rugby background or they were just pure athletes and they mm. weren't actually that great at rugby players. They were just very athletic. No. So, um, and I think that, you know, if you tried to, you know, if you tried to pick the most athletic, the best sort of rugby league player at the moment and put him into a rugby union game, I don't know whether he would be as effective still. I, th- I think it would only be the really athletic rugby league players that would do any good uh, because the skill sets are completely different again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how RTS goes in, in rugby union because, mm. uh, you know, outstanding fullback, but obviously he's not going to play fullback in rugby union because I, I assume he doesn't have much of a kicking game. Um, so whether that'll be like a Sam Burgess type scenario where he just does not fit in and he's back in league within a year. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? I, I would like him to come back to league. I think league needs him. Yeah. Well, look, I think in I think in rugby union, you've still got that you've still got that sort of inside center, outside center sort of thing. I, from what I remember, I haven't watched a lot of union recently, but um, they don't sort of have the same thing where you've got, you know, a one edge back row and one edge wing, uh, winger and center, and then you've got the other edges back row, winger and center. That mm. That's not how it's done in Union. So, no, they're, they're still quite different. Like the outside center will tend to be more of a runner, um, mm. and the number the inside center number 12 kind of needs to be a bit of a playmaker. Like he, he definitely needs to be able to kick the ball. 
uh, well, kind of like the second playmaker. Yeah, I think I think what you'd end up with is a bit like I don't know if you've seen um, much of of uh, Semi Rad Radra who's gone over to play. I'm not sure where he plays Union, but I saw some he footage of him France, the other day. Yeah, so from what I can tell is that team is get the ball to him and he runs it. He doesn't have to kick or pass or do anything special. He just runs it. So I think that's where RTS would come in. He'd be doing something very similar. So he's probably going to be like an outside centre or something. That's probably what he's going yeah, to end up being. Sure. Um, and he might be very successful and, you know, good luck to him if he is. But, I mean, it's pretty hard to, to crack into that All Blacks team and I just don't know whether he will. Um, because the difference is the All Blacks don't need him, he needs them. Whereas unlike when, you know, Australia was was getting all these lead guys and paying them a bunch of money and, and promising them Wallaby jerseys, um, they kind of needed the skill. Whereas the All Blacks are already the best anyway. So, you know, if this... Yeah. If they if he's gonna do something good for them, yeah, that's great. They'll put him in the team, but they're not gonna bend anyone. They're gonna uh, bend their backs and try and get him in there or break their backs to get him in there. But um, yeah, interesting. I, look, I I wonder how you will go, and I suppose it will be another another way of seeing how far apart these sports really are. Yeah, and whether it's it's we we we, we kind of started this talking about you know. Um, how the similarities, I guess, between union and league is, is sort of decades have gone on, but and like union, yeah, it's it's sort of moving towards league, but league is moving towards something like American football, where mm. there's emphasis on possession and it's really structured play. So, I guess league's just doing whatever it wants to do and and finding its way as it has for the past century and a bit, um, whereas union perhaps needs to constantly look at how to improve its game and. You know, maybe they begrudgingly need to move more towards league. Yeah, look, I, look, I think that's great. We might, we might just finish on that because I think that's a really good wrap up of exactly what we've said. So, you know, if by some miracle the two sides had come back together, or they had never split, um, and we had one unified game throughout that whole time, uh, I think we'd have to say that the the St George uh, run of 11 premierships in a row probably doesn't happen. Maybe it does. Maybe they win more. I don't know. But, you know, there's a lot of history that gets expunged because of this that we it can't does. possibly work out. Um, but just as a general focus of the whole thing, uh, it would be a completely different game than both games that we have now. We don't know what it would look like. We never know whether, you know, what would happen, but we think that Australia would be pretty successful at it. Um, and, you know, maybe... Maybe it would have been more. It would have been a bit more unified, so that you know rugby might have pushed itself into other states of Australia as well. You know, like at the moment, they don't understand the difference in the two sports, and it's a no, lot of don't. try to work out. You know, you know it, I, I don't think you'd ever have you'd ever take over the popularity of the Aussie rules football, but you know there might have been. They've both made attempts to to have teams in in Melbourne, and have both been somewhat successful. So. A bit more unified and they might have been a little bit more successful on that um but yeah generally i think it would have been could have been a positive for both or if they'd come back together it could have been a complete negative and we could end up with something that's not as good as what we have now yeah and, and perhaps the league's greatest strength and, and you know why you know it is such a great game it has so many memories um and so great moments is because it always has had to have sort of one eye open it, it has to fight to survive and and yeah that's probably why it's held back a little bit at some times. Um, but 
it's also you know it, it's you know I'm probably I'm glad the split happened. I think the divorce was a much better outcome than trying to stay together. Yeah, and look, like I said before, you couldn't guarantee that even if they had even if they'd come back together in 1908, that you know by 1920 there wouldn't have been another rival. You know, I'm, part of part of rugby league's history is is always trying to you know uprise and and purge from within and yeah. you know look I think the union guys are probably very happy that all that left them you know I mean I don't know much about union and, and their administration but I'm assuming that you know two years after a competition actually starts they didn't try and someone didn't try and um, torpedo the whole competition just because they didn't like a, a certain Out club yeah, yeah no. exactly so <laughs> it's, it's a lot more unified yeah probably because they all went to the same schools <laughs> That's, that's probably right, and, and that would be very interesting too to see whether, um, you know, the the first grade competition would be just those clubs that are in the more affluent areas, or whether it would be, you know, everywhere. Like everyone would be more accepting of each other because you know there's no there's no divide between, you know, the I'm I'm name them again, you know, like the Randwicks and Eastwood and Gordons as against you know your, your western suburbs and you know, all that kind of any areas that at the moment they don't actually know where they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're possibly suggesting that there might be too many Sydney teams in a rugby union competition as well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Could you imagine if they had all the teams they had in, say, you know, the early 90s plus all the teams? <laughs> imagine if there was a 20-something team Sydney rugby league competition, or rugby competition, sorry, and it was... I keep saying rugby league, sorry. Um... But imagine if it was that and we had to try and merge, you know, uh, Mossman and Gordon and Sydney University had to merge with University of New South Wales or something. I don't know. Some that other team. That could never happen. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, look, we, we really skated around doing Super League. I almost do it every time and we've actually got away from doing it. So we mentioned RLD, so that's... That's the obligatory mention. It, it, it probably helps that I was like two years old at the time of the Super League War, so yeah, I have okay. no history. Like, well, I've obviously learnt about it, but um, I have no memories or like enduring hatred from that. Yeah, I'm well, untainted in that regard. There's probably a whole other thing I could start start a can of, but maybe uh, listeners out there, if you want to have a think about what you would have, what might have happened when pay television tried to buy rugby. As a one united front, um, it would be very interesting to, because I don't know if this rugby competition we're talking about would be on Channel Nine uh, and be owned partially by you know interests around Terry Kerry Packer. Um, it would be. I'm not going to go any further. We're not going to explore that any further because that would be another hour and a half of that. Um, That's a job for Michael. I yeah. think he should get on that straight away. Well, I think I think if Michael wants to to reply when when I do put this episode out, if he wants to have a little musings on what he thinks would have happened, but it could be very interesting because you know we might have had a super rugby war. A super rugby war. That sounds interesting. Well, I mean, we can have super league war because it wouldn't be called rugby league. So. They would have to call themselves something else, and I'm sure they would come up with a stupid name. But not saying Super Rugby is a stupid name, but um, I just think if you put Super in front of anything in your in your um, competition, you're setting yourself up for you know failure. It, it's very far, it's very Americanized. Yeah, very much. A bit, so. a bit still, still better than Star League, though. <laughs> I, I was I was shocked to hear that. I thought, what the hell? 
Very true. All right. Well, thanks, Dominic. I'll um I'll let you go. And you've been a, a great guest. And uh, good luck with watching both sports. Thank you. It's been great to be on my first ever podcast, and also you know kind of unloading all my useless sports knowledge to someone who actually listens to it. So thank you.